Today's show is brought to you by Valley of the Boom from National Geographic. This all-new six-part limited series follows the stories of three companies trying to change the world through technology during Silicon Valley's unprecedented tech boom of the 1990s. From the first browser wars to the story of a con artist who reinvents himself as a tech entrepreneur, these are the true stories of how the web was won. Valley of the Boom premieres Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. But you can watch the first two episodes right now on demand and on the Nat Geo TV app. Hey everyone, this is Jason Del Rey, Senior Editor of Commerce at Recode. I want to tell you about a live Recode Decode podcast we have coming up in New York City. On Monday, January 14th, Kara Swisher will be interviewing founder and CEO of Glossier, Emily Weiss, at the 92nd Street Y. Emily has built a fast-growing beauty brand with a true cult following. The interview starts at 7.30 p.m., and there's still a limited number of tickets available at 92y.org. That's 92y.org. We hope to see you there. I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who gets avocado toast delivered to my house every day because I'm told that's what the millennials do. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Tony Hsu and Christopher Payne, the CEO and COO of DoorDash. It's the on-demand food delivery app that Tony co-founded in 2013. Tony and Christopher, welcome to Recode Decode. It's good to be here. Good to, to, how's Thanks it going? How's it going in the delivery business? We got lots to talk about. Yes. Um, so I just want to sort of get um, get in a sense. Why don't we start with you, Tony? Um, where the company is now? There's been a lot of different stories. We've written a bunch of stories uh, about where where it is right now. Why don't you give us an update of DoorDash? Sure. Um, it, well, DoorDash is on track to be the largest delivery platform in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and it. I mean, it really was the culmination of a lot of things we did when we founded the company. Mm-hmm. But 2018 kind of is when a lot of these things materialized. You know, for starters, we 5 x our geography. We started the year at, in 600 cities. We're now live across 3,000 cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at some point in next year, we'll be serving over 75% of the U.S. households. Um, we now serve... 69 of the top 100 restaurants in America, which is... These are the chains. Yeah, a lot of them are the chains. Wendy's, Chipotle, Mm -hmm. Cheesecake Factory. Um, That's more than all of our peers combined. Um, We're starting to deliver other types of things. Um, In 2016, we built our Drive platform, which lets stores deliver through their own apps and their own websites. Mm -hmm. So today, we deliver the vast majority of Walmart's groceries in about 500 stores... 70 markets in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So a lot's happened. So talk about the, the delivery business in general. I mean, there's been, there's a million competitors in this in this space. When you started in 2013, there weren't, they were, you know, they were talking. Google was sort of wandering around Amazon, obviously, and others. So talk about your principal competitors right now in this space. Because I think people are confused because there's Ubers involved, Uber Eats and things like that. Yeah, so, so, so there... Th- there's always been a lot of players. I mean, I mean, food is a big category, and I, right. I think the misunderstood thing about food is that it's actually largely still undelivered. Right. You know, when, meaning what does that well, mean? Well, so so food. You know, the restaurant business will see about eight hundred billion dollars in sales mm-hmm. in 2017, 2018, and about five percent of that is delivered. 
But if you actually look in certain segments, like pizza, we all know pizza is delivered. Half of pizza sales actually are delivered. Mm -hmm. But non-pizza, it's a single-digit percentage number. So we're still in the super, super early innings. And I, and I think that's one of the things that's not well understood. It's, it's going to be it's going to be the largest industry out there because we do it 20 times a week. We eat 20 times at least a week. Right, right. And so that that's really, you know, still the, the state of affairs of uh, for the market. But in terms of the big players, I mean, I, I think you're seeing – a, a couple of players rise to the top. We're the, we've been the fastest growing since, I mean, for the past year, year and a half, we're growing now over 250% year on year. Mm-hmm. So and, go, talk about the competitors. Try to name them. I know you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I'll let you do it. Well, I mean, no, but, I mean this is, 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 so I, I think what you see is that um, there have been companies that started in the past. Mm-hmm. And most of these companies, whether they're the grub hubs of the world, were really they're lead generation companies. They didn't do the deliveries themselves. As mm-hmm. a result, most of the market was actually not served. So outside of New York City, nobody did delivery. That, right. that, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And so what DoorDash has done is really allowed any one of the 250,000 restaurants that we serve today to offer that. And so that is a big part of why we're the number one player. All right. I'm going to ask Chris then. Competitors. Talk, let's talk <laughs> about them individually. Google. Yeah, Google's not really in the in the in the restaurant right. space at this at this point. They did Shopping Express shopping a while Express, back. Right. It seems to be sort of because you're all going to converge on delivering everything. Our hundred percent. Yeah, our vision right. is definitely last mile logistics. So mm-hmm. we started with started with restaurant food delivery. Mm-hmm. We now do grocery with Walmart, mm-hmm. and uh, and you'll see more expansion in the years to come. And and in that area, the same. It's Amazon is the other competitor or how do you look at that? You know, because we are a last mile logistics platform and power, say, Walmart's deliveries, Amazon is a potential future ally mm-hmm. or their potential competitor. They, there is a service called Amazon Restaurants. It's very, very small today, sub 5% market share. Uh, so it doesn't seem to be a major initiative for them. But um, I hope to see them as, a, as, a, as an ally in the future because we're connecting all local businesses to all local consumers. That's mm-hmm. the vision that Tony created mm-hmm. and want to be able to deliver anything to anyone in, in real time. Right. So talk about that. I mean, because I've just i been doing a lot of this, using a lot of delivery services lately. Um, most of them Amazon, actually, Prime Now and, and various things. Like they're just testing the, the very, and Uber Eats and things like that. Um, talk about how it's, it, it, how it's go. I'm trying to get people to understand what, how the business is moving because there's lots of different parts and every, but eventually everyone's going to converge on the same idea of whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to start with like, you know, one of the earliest um, pioneers in the space, which was FedEx, mm-hmm. you know, back in 1972. Right. And, and, and actually many of the models that you talked about, whether it's, you know, the Amazons um, or other types of retailers really still are um, predicated on that model, which is we go door to door to door, and we make drop offs, and we drive pretty much the same routes every day. It's right. it's the you know the milk person's route, mm-hmm. um, and that largely hasn't changed in the last four decades. However, that's not the way we shop. Um, right. I personally don't know what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. I don't know when I'm going to buy my next um, Coca Cola can or you know pair of jeans. I'm just going to mm-hmm. buy them when I need them, and I think most people do. Mm-hmm. And so there hasn't existed this local real-time service. If you think about it, um, you know, companies like Amazon have certainly grown um, delivery of their own goods. Mm-hmm. There doesn't exist that system for all the businesses on the streets. Mm-hmm. And Amazon presumably is a competitor with them also, and they want another alternative to that. Correct? Or 
competitor to to all these local businesses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think um, one of the one of the things we're trying to do is empower local businesses. And a lot of local businesses do not have the capability to deliver on their own. Mm-hmm. One of the things that started the company was Tony was going door to door, and he talked to merchants, and they were having to turn away businesses, catering business, because they couldn't deliver cookies in this right. case. Right. Um, and so one way to think about this is DoorDash, we're, we're trying to sort of allow the little business to mm. compete with the big businesses. By providing a platform. Yeah, by providing a platform that they couldn't build otherwise. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the founding. Tony, why don't you talk a little, because not everybody knows who you are. Explain, because sure. there's there's a bunch of these services, but talk about how you decided to start it. Yeah, we started the company to really help small businesses, mm-hmm. you know, people like my mom. You know, I grew up working out of my mom's restaurant. Um, as a dishwasher. And, um, you know, my mom's story is one where she came to this country. She wanted to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. but the U.S. didn't recognize her license because we emigrated from China. It was a Mm -hmm. different license. And we only had $250 in the bank, so we couldn't put her through school. So long story short, she had to work three different jobs, one of which was at a restaurant, to save up enough money to open up a medical clinic, which she did after 12 years. And she now still runs in her 19th year. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we started the company wanting to help people like her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went to different businesses in the Bay Area, whether they're restaurants or cake shops or retailers. And a few of them would tell us how they would turn down 10 to 15 delivery orders a week, which was just an absurd. Which is business. Yeah, right? it's, it's a lot. I mean, 10 to 15 a week and you're running a 400 square feet, 800 square feet shop, you're going to go out of business. It's just a matter of when. Right. And it's not like delivery hasn't been done before right but 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 in their defense why is it that why is it that 99% of businesses don't deliver why is it that 85% of restaurants don't deliver and so um, my co-founders and I um, did some deliveries ourselves and we figured out two things one it's impossible basically to have your own uh, delivery fleet you never have enough mm-hmm. um, if there's a spike let's say Stanford throws a midterm or something like that um, and you know, on most nights, like tonight's Tuesday, it's gonna you're gonna have too many, mm-hmm. and you can't just flex up and down to meet your demand. Right. And the second challenge is is just the way that delivery systems are set up is that they're set up in routes. They're not set up to do things just in time, and that's why FedEx does not deliver to you uh, on demand. Right. And it's also why Amazon and others don't do that as as well. Mm-hmm. So there, we believe that there was this opportunity to help all these businesses effectively make the shift from selling you experiences, i.e. you're going into the store, mm-hmm. to convenience. And they need a business partner to help them. They need a delivery um, a network to help them. They need marketing to help them. And we plan on building all of the services for them. All right. And when you think about it, Chris, when you think about you talk about your background a little bit. Now, you came from a whole bunch of different yeah. places. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around a while. So yeah. I was at Microsoft for mm-hmm. a long time, 15 years, um, right out of college. Uh, and then I was at Amazon. I was one of the first GMs beyond books. Amazon was just a bookseller when mm-hmm. I was there. Uh, I did a little startup that uh, got sold to eBay, and I ended up running eBay North America. And then prior to joining DoorDash, I did an ill-fated uh, stint as the CEO of Tinder. Yes, right. yes, I remember your ill-fated stint. We'll go into that later. I, I bet. <laughs> yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> it no went match. Gr- it went great. <laughs> Didn't match. It was right? definitely a swipe left. <laughs> swipe no question. Left. Um, so you, um, so so the so the conceptual idea. You had been working in Amazon, just selling, just regular selling, and Amazon had not gotten it. This Amazon had been essentially a retailer. 
uh, that used online services. Yeah, Amazon was a first-party retailer when I was there. We had just gone into third-party selling for the first time before I left. Right, which was was a big move for them. Yeah, we bought a company called Jungly, which was a a service in that area. Right. All right, so when you think about the delivery space, because I think one of the things is is a ton of money has gone in. You guys have raised how much total? Just under a billion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Explain why for pe- regular people, because you're you're a proxy for a lot of these, a lot of these deliveries, and some of which have not worked out at all. Um, I want to talk about why the, these don't work out, and what how what what the funding environment for these things are like, and why the why they continue to put money into it. Yeah, so it's actually kind of ironic because we share the same investors as Webvan. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, you think about Do- Webvan. If, if you think about DoorDash's earliest investors, Andy Ratcliffe is a seed investor in DoorDash. He was an investor from Benchmark yeah. and Webvan. Um, Sequoia Capital, um, uh, John Doerr from Kleiner Perkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three of those investors were some of the original investors in Webvan. And and we're lucky. Explain Webvan for people. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so Webvan was uh, was a grocery delivery service in which they built these warehouses in cities. And they Louis would bring, Monnier. Yeah. It, it was a great team mm-hmm. that would, um, you know, bring these groceries to our home. And the the root cause, at, at least when I saw some of the um, data, was that there wasn't enough demand. It was just too early. And, you know, actually one of their cities was profitable. That was actually San Francisco at the time. But because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough demand in other markets and because they had invested so heavily in these warehouses, which um, and, you know, time that with the downturn, it was difficult to raise further capital. And that's mm-hmm. why the business shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference. There also wasn't mobile. There wasn't. There wasn't yeah. a lot of things. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a, a practice of doing it. There yes. wasn't. A, people didn't get used to doing Uber. Yeah. The way people didn't get used to doing it in in the way they they order now. Yeah, I I, I think there were uh, there are at least three big things. The first is that there wasn't the consumer demand. Right. And you know today, thanks to many different types of companies over the past decade and a half. Uh, since Webvan's founding, um, have taught us how to shop online um, mm-hmm. for just about anything. Second, to your point, um, there wasn't mobile, so there wasn't this ability to tap on t- into this on-demand workforce. Um, and and you know, the comment there is is that there's also changes in the labor um, market. Uh, you know, one of the things that's similar about the dashers on the DoorDash platform that that fulfill all the deliveries and the consumers is that they all value their time. And as a result of that, um, they're picking and choosing their jobs wherever and whenever um, they live and work. Um, and the, the final thing I, I would say here is, um, is that a lot of the merchants now are ready. They're ready to make this trans- transition from mm-hmm. selling experiences to also selling convenience. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the greatest business model change. Experiences by mean going into the restaurant. Going into the store. And, 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 and the, this, store is, this is the biggest business model shift in commerce. Mm-hmm. If you, Restaurants have three kinds of costs. They have people costs, they have food costs, and they have real estate costs. In the delivery business, um, they really only have food costs. Mm-hmm. They are not going to add extra real estate. They don't even need to add extra help in the store until it gets really, really busy. So, you know, the delivery business is really a great business model for m- most of these stores. And I think that restaurants are starting to get that. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see that, you know, from a lot of these national restaurants that are doing this for the first time. When we announced many of these delivery, you know, partnerships, I mean, this is the first time that, you know, a Wendy's, you know, um, a, or a Chipotle or a Cheesecake Factory have done mm-hmm. delivery in almost 40, 50 years. Forever, forever. So, Chris, talk about the operations of that because one of the things that you're doing is giving them 
at some point, Chipotle might want to do that themselves or, or have their own business doing it. And, and one of the things you guys have done more than anything is uh, target these big chains. Yes. Yeah, I spend, I spend a lot of my time, I would say personal time, working mm-hmm. with the large restaurants, very demanding customers. I, mm-hmm. w- one of the things we try to do is be excellent at that. You can imagine if you're a cheesecake factory on a Friday night mm-hmm. and you layer in you know, 20% more volume with DoorDash. If that doesn't integrate with your operations and go smoothly, it can be uh, it can be challenging. And so that's one of the things we focus a lot of our energies on is customizing the operation, integration with their point of sale system, uh, getting the the Dasher to the right place in the specific store. You can imagine the store at uh, Union Square in San Francisco. If you've ever seen the cheesecake yes, factories on top of, yeah. uh, you know, we've at times when it's super busy, we actually have a runner that goes downstairs and and off the food to dashers in their in their vehicles. That's the type of thing it takes to actually win them over because a lot of these restaurants were not designed for delivery mm-hmm. and they weren't designed to have 30% more volume mm-hmm. on a Friday night or mm-hmm. a or a Saturday night. And so that that is that's sort of where we I think have differentiated ourselves. And that's why, you know, uh, the top merchants tend to uh, partner with us on the on the Chipotle question that you asked, the uh, Chipotle actually does its own delivery through its app. So if you download the Chipotle app, mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes, that's DoorDash doing the delivery. Mm-hmm. They're also on DoorDash's application from a consumer perspective. If you're an employee at Chipotle, you wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. So the, there's just an on-demand order coming into the point of sale. They fulfill that to a DoorDash dasher that comes into the door and it goes well. Um, the business is so it's so early that you know all it rise the all the the tide rises for mm-hmm. for everyone. When we run a promotion on DoorDash with Chipotle, they do more in store. When they run a promotion in store, we run we do more on on DoorDash itself. But what would be the reason again wh- why a large chain wouldn't do this themselves? Well, I think I think the question is, what do you mean by do it themselves? Have like, their own delivery service. Ha- have their own application, have mm-hmm. their own website. Mm-hmm. That's our recommendation is they mm-hmm. should do both. Mm-hmm. They should be on DoorDash and they should have their own channels. Right. And many do. Wingstop does. Uh, Chipotle does. Five Guys does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but but our, our our pitch is you should do both. But the the. The ability to build a last mile logistics platform, a technology platform, is right. very, very challenging. That's what I want to get to. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think many restaurants are going to be doing that. Some have, Panera has, mm-hmm. uh, and have done a great job with it. But that's the exception, not the rule. For and why would that? Why would they do that? Yeah. So first they of all, to, they want oh, to why did Panera control do the whole experience, presumably? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they, they thought they, they, they had a system that could do it. They, they did it a little before sort of DoorDash got to critical mass. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Or, um, you know, whether to, in today's world where DoorDash exists, it's in 3,000 cities, if that would make sense to start from, from scratch. This is challenging. It's challenging. Software, it's one of the reasons I joined the company. You know, it's like you have to predict every night mm-hmm. in like three-mile circles around the country uh, how much food is going to be needed in that. And so, therefore, how many drivers are going to be needed. Right. Super challenging to do that. A, a very hard software problem. Um, and then the the, the the thought of like being able to balance supply across just your one store, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Right. It's why it's never gone beyond 
pizza right. uh, predominantly, predominantly. As, a, as an individual store thing. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. All right. We're going to talk about pizza and actually the economics of it when we get back. We're talking to Tony Shu and Christopher Payne, the CEO and COO of DoorDash, when we get back from our word from our sponsor. Coming up next, let's flash back to the early days of Silicon Valley with advertiser content from our sponsor, Valley of the Boom, an all-new limited series from National Geographic. Check it out. Oh boy, my Silicon Valley CEO in a box is finally here. Oh, yeah. Got that entrepreneurial spirit, but still just an Ivy League dropout plugging away in a garage. Then you need Silicon Valley CEO in a box. For as little as one round of Series A funding, you'll get everything you need to disrupt and take risks and be the boss of your very own startup. Inside, you'll find essentials like the Palo Alto Tuxedo, also known as a hoodie and cargo shorts. You'll look just like a real founder who's been up all night thinking about something like a user interface. You'll also get the big book of business speak, Unsure what to say to early investors? Or anyone, really? No problem. We've got you covered. Try, it's time for a pivot. Or, let's iterate. Or, when all else fails, listen, we're here to make the world a better place. Congratulations! You're on your way to launch an empire. Silicon Valley CEO on a Box is brought to you by Valley of the Boom, a six-part limited series on National Geographic that will introduce you to the CEOs who led California's first tech boom in the 90s. Valley of the Boom, premiere Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central, only on National Geographic. We're back with Tony Shu and Christopher Payne, the CEO and COO of DoorDash. Um, one of the things that I think people don't really understand is the economics of these things, how you guys make money. I'd really like to explain it to, to explain, Tony, if you could, the how you all work when you have these relationships. Yeah, so we collect money two ways. Um, first, we collect a fee from consumers, mm -hmm. and so that's in the form of a delivery fee and mm -hmm. sometimes a service fee. And the restaurants pay us a commission on the order. A part, uh, say they a percentage, percentage, a percentage of the food, yes. right, for your service of delivering. Yes, it. like it's your vague essentially of, of doing that. Yes, and and in terms of uh, and then they and then they whatever they get on top of that is extra money that they would get. Yes, from what they're selling, right? So so when you get this much money, a billion dollars in investment, what are you doing with that money? <laughs> well, um, a few things. Um, right. Number one, we have to go to all of these cities mm -hmm. and going to cities. This is just in the U.S. Uh, U.S. and Canada. Canada, right. and and going. I meant to the, US, the North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's in North America today. Um, going to cities is, is expensive. Um, we have to we have to build the fleet. Mm -hmm. We have to sign up restaurants, which requires salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, we have to hire people centrally. Uh, this is one of the hardest things that we do, which is we mm -hmm. run a decentralized operation city by city. Right. But we also have central so, teams. Similar like, to Uber did initially. A, a bunch of teams. Right. Uh, we, we have engineering centrally. We, we have marketing centrally. We have a few other things centrally. Um, and, and so... Uh, building out the fleet uh, city by city, marketing to get the business going in each one of those cities. Mm -hmm. It's almost like starting a new business every yes, single time. Yes, that's what I'm getting at, yeah. And then there is the build out of, of the central team, so hiring. Um, those are the biggest sources of investment. All right, talk a little bit about the economics of it, You, how you guys did this year in terms of doing that, because one of the things you would compete on would be price with someone else underpricing you, presumably, like an Uber Eats coming in and trying to 
go to the same businesses because they're trying to go to small businesses. They're already on the road with their cars. That would, to me, be your most the closest competitor. Maybe I'm wrong. Is that correct? Uber Eats or right now? I'd assume. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you look at where the U.S. is, I mean, right. it, um, you know, th- there's two players gaining share. It's it, it's DoorDash and and Uber, mm-hmm. and you know, DoorDash is growing 65 percent faster. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, I just got an earful from Dara Costa Shahi. That's why about how great Uber Eats is. Because so 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 I, so I, I think you're um, you are seeing the field. Um, move towards a smaller number of players. Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning that there be two or one, or what happens to the Grubhub's and the others? Well, I, th- I think, I think that's probably too early to say on 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 the exact caviar. Caviar. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, too early to say. But, but but I think if you look at the if you look at just how consumers are buying and where they're buying, mm-hmm. it's really going to two players right now. All right. And how do you look at that market then when you look at a market of that, of how do you compete against an Uber, which has a fleet of cars that are already moving? Through, they already have a fleet, essentially. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things that's interesting about the Dashers is that um, they're actually not the same people that deliver food and deliver people. Right. Um, so it, the, the average Dasher on the platform is in their mid-20s. The average ride-sharing driver, name your favorite service, is mm-hmm. early 40s. 40% of the Dashers are female. Mm-hmm. Um, 15% roughly in ride-sharing are female. And and that's for safety concerns. Um, so the so first point is that they're actually not the same people. In fact, okay. in most of the country, the overlap is less than 10%. So, Which is good because finding qualified people to do this is difficult. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that we found is – so the, the Dashers on the platform come to us in two groups, um, you know, from universities and from retail. And most of these folks already have – have a full-time job. Um, they're just trying to add to it. I think one of the, the the things that's interesting about how labor is changing well, I want to get into for, that, yeah. for, for the tens of millions of folks looking for flexible work is that you have to put yourself in the shoes of, you know, where are they coming from? And if you're in school, 80% of your efforts are focused on school-related stuff. Um, and, and so you may have some time to look for a part-time gig. If you're working in retail, the number of hours that you can now work has been dwindling, dwindling over the last 10 yeah. hours. Yep. Uh, it's 10 years, excuse me. And, and, and so in retail now, you can work between 25 and 30 hours usually typically in any city. And so you're looking for this gig that's between t- 10 and 15 hours a week, but you need to pick you know those hours right because you already have something that's occupying the majority of your week and so that's that's really that void that we fill and when you chris when you're talking about the idea of this workforce you, you presumably you as ceo you do operations of these things that's right how you when you're in this i'm really I'm, it's an area i'm going to be talking a lot with gavin newsom about a lot of mm. some a lot of governors are very interested in it's like what happens to this workforce and how do we define this workforce so you have a big one uber has a big one Airbnb and sort of has a big one, even though it's not quite the same because nobody's moving around. But there's there's temporary workers, or there, there's got to be a new way to designate them. I want you to talk a little bit about this because your business, uh, uh, you know, the um, Kia just bought Task Rabbit, same thing. Which is, we'll see what goes on, what happens with that. Yep. Talk a little bit about that, the concept of that, how you start to manage this new kind of workforce because you, you can say they're a temporary college students or whatever, but this is going to be the reality, I think, for a lot of people. Well, I think it's, I mean, if you talk to the average dasher, I mean, I, they, they love the flexibility of, of being able to dash on DoorDash. I mean, that's, if you, if you say, why do you do this? You know, you'll get the answer of, I can make incremental money. Um, 
I can, I, the, the number one reason sort of a dasher leaves DoorDash is I met my objective. So a lot of times you'll hear dashers say, I was saving up to go on a vacation. Mm-hmm. I talked to one recently that said I was saving up to take a, a, a class at, at a university. Mm-hmm. Um, and DoorDash enables me to do that. And then I come back to it. You'll have many people come back to it. To me, that's, that's a service that, that we're bringing in, you know, in, you know, to the, to the world at, at large, the U.S. and North America. And I think that's very, very powerful. I think a lot of the, the question about whether this is employee versus independent contractor misses a little bit of the point mm-hmm. that this is like work uh, for people and it gives them immense flexibility. Right. Well, that's your argument. It I mean, is. Some people make it the is. argument they need health care. They need, they need, you know, as, as more and more of the population becomes this way, we have to redesignate employees in new ways, in new, fresh ways to think about how they move with health care. They move with all kinds of rights that they don't have in these environments. Yeah, I think what you'll see is that as, um, you know, the legislatures will opine on this. But, I mean, we very much believe these are independent contractor roles. Right. Right. Uh, I do believe— Well, you have that, to, right? <laughs> I do believe that as—, as uh, time goes by, there will be more, cap- you know, more things offered uh, to people that do more on the platform. That's definitely one of the things we try to do with people that sort of do lots and lots of deliveries on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to me, the foundation here is one of bringing sort of opportunity to, in our case, hundreds of thousands of, of, of dashers. And I think that's very powerful. To do that, to do that. But do you, do, Tony, do you see this designation changing or figuring out a new way to look at workers? I, I think the issue shouldn't be about classification. I mean, if you think about, you know, what is the root problem? The root problem is how do we maximize all this flexibility, mm-hmm. which dashers love, and provide a security blanket for those who need it? Right. That that's the root problem. Right. 100%. And 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 what ends up happening though, Kara, is that you know there's lots talked about and reported on, you know, the classification. But it turns out in these types of classification issues, lawyers make millions of dollars. Dashers get in their pocket. Mm -hmm. That doesn't solve the root problem. So what has to happen is we have to work together as an industry, uh, by the way, also with other types of industries that have contractors, warehouse workers, truckers, um, doctors, Mm -hmm. um, and and, and many others, and team up to figure out how to actually solve the, the collective benefits problem. We collect the benefits. That's the way you put it. Like, how, do you do you imagine that there is that there has to be an industry solution to this? Because this is a really interesting issue as we move forward. Because people aren't going to be employed, correct? Because you, you, how many dashers do you employ right now? There are over. Well, we don't employ them. I know. Okay, <laughs> the, well, you don't the, the, employ. There, there, there are over seven hundred thousand on the platform. Right. That are working. And same thing with Uber. Same thing with as you move as you iterate through the system. It's a really how, how much how how is the competition for workers going then when you or dashers or task rabbits or whatever? What what is the competition like? How do you look at it? Well, it's really different by. By, by geography, you know, right. while it's really, really competitive here in the Bay Area mm-hmm. um, and competitive in places like Boston where no one owns a car, only 11% of the population drives a car, mm-hmm. in most of America, it's not. Mm-hmm. In most of America, people drive cars. In most of America, people would love these types of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think it's, again, why. Why is because this isn't augmentation to what they're already doing. If it were not, if it was a true substitute and replacement, I think that might be different. Right. So when we, when we, when we thinking about where it's going as a, as a business, when you think about what else you're going to deliver, you obviously start with food. 
what do you look at? What do you think the most promising areas are for you guys? Well, we started with food just because it was the hardest problem. Mm -hmm. It was, it's not just because it's high frequency, but because if you can figure out food and figure out, if you can deliver something in 30 minutes, you can deliver something in an hour. Right. The, the verse is not the true. People don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so we look at what people like to buy and we look at, you know, how often they buy it. Um, you know, and, and we also look at whether or not it gives the dashers the opportunities in, in, in the right hours of the day. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. for example, we, um, uh, we mentioned that we deliver groceries from Walmart. Uh, right. We do this for 500 of their stores. Which is a big coup, by the way, for you to get this contract with Walmart. But go ahead. Working with Walmart. It's it's been a great partnership, yeah. and and um, the, the the one of the big benefits of partnering with Walmart is that you know grocery deliveries actually happen at very different times than say when restaurant meals get mm-hmm. uh, bought, and so as a result of that, dashers now have even more choice. There are more work opportunities in different hours of the day in which they can deliver different types of things, right. and so. You can work a couple hours in the morning delivering Walmart groceries, or you can choose to deliver longer and, you know, extend extend that into lunch. Is there anything you wouldn't deliver? Not that I can think of. Right. I, I mean, the, 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 where are you moving? So groceries, food, then what? Well, well, what else do you what else do you buy? Well, I've had a lot of bad literary experiences recently. Oh, okay. Anything that's Tell not me about washing machines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything. Wash- no, it was di- dishwasher. Oh, it was dishwasher. Sorry. But that, then it was a shelf. Then it was a bed. Then it was a this. And Amazon did everything flawlessly. Yep. Flawlessly. And I hated them for it, I have to say. I really wanted them to screw up. <laughs> and they didn't. There was not one. Not one. Not one. Everything was right. They delivered the right thing. They delivered at the right time. They gave me the right text. It was really quite astonishing. And imagine if you can do that from all the stores in your city. Yes. You can have even yeah. more choices of well, buying. Just, they're doing, Prime Now is from some stores. It seems like they're going to stores, right? I mean, it, it's from their own warehouse. It's, it's, their, their, it's their warehouse, I believe. Yeah. But some of the, it seems like they're pulling from all over the place. It, it, I think at one point they were pulling from a store. It looked like they were, I couldn't tell. It seemed like they were pulling from a store. Nonetheless, it was really flawless. Um, and so that, it, it troubled me for local retailers to worry about how they were going to survive. I mean, the, the, the way I think about this is, is there—there there is no company out there today mm-hmm. that is a business partner to the businesses locally. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, if we wanted to, if we wanted to make t-shirts mm-hmm. and we wanted to sell them online, we would, we might sell through an Amazon or an eBay, mm-hmm. or we might buy ads from a Facebook or an Instagram mm-hmm. or a Google. But if we wanted to open a t-shirt store on the street, on Market Street, and we wanted to get business, how do we do that? It's not obvious. Mm-hmm. There aren't obvious business partners that you would go to. Right. And so I think there's a massive opportunity to be that unique company. All right. We're here with Tony Shu and Christopher Payne, the CEO and COO of DoorDash. Uh, Tony started the company in 2013. What prompted you to do this? I'm, I'm sorry. I know you, I've heard your story, but I've utterly forgotten it. What, you, you just decided this was because of your family's because of your family's. Business. Well, it wasn't about delivery. It was right. about helping businesses. Helping businesses yes. do better. Okay. When you when you when you're thinking about doing this, when you when when you didn't do a startup, what was the impetus for doing that? You just thought this was a good idea, or well, it, well, we treated it like a project. Like it, a project. Yeah, it wasn't. It it was, and it was to answer three basic questions, which was: Is this something that people want, or right. is this something that just Silicon Valley people want? Um, well, yes. <laughs> well, you know my line. You know my famous line. 
So no, I, what's your famous line? San Francisco is assisted living for millennials. But uh, go ahead, move along. Okay. <laughs> Think about it. I understand, but but, but, but that, that's why actually yes. our first market outside of has Palo Alto. to be San Francisco. No, it was East San Jose. Okay. It was because we wanted to see if this could be a mainstream product, I not see. a Silicon Valley product. Right. That, that's a bunch of. And we're actually much bigger outside of the valley than we are in the Bay Area. What's the biggest area besides? This really big in the Midwest. I mean, if ah. you think about, think about. So I grew up in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. and it, it, in the middle of the country, it's hard to get convenience. Mm-hmm. If we lived in New York or San Francisco, well, New York's always been a delivery city, right? Okay, right. no, no, but, right. but 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 if we lived in New York, we can just we don't even have to get delivery. We can just walk down the stairs, and right. we can throw a rock and hit a thousand stores. Right. That's not true in most right. of America. Right. And so, so no, we actually started out by figuring out, can this actually work in a less dense place? Because if you can make it work there, you can make it work in a New York or a San Francisco. Right. If you can make it at a price point work for middle America, you can make it work for the Bay Area. Right. Not the other way around. Right. So, so yeah, so the, it, it started like a project and it was, is this something that Main Street America wanted? Number two, is this something that restaurants wanted and would pay us for? And number three, is this something that we could afford in terms of partnering with the Dashers? So so what's it like being a startup right now for both of you? I mean, you've been at big companies, Chris, uh, pretty much. Uh, what is the startup environment now? It's not quite as sunny as it was, it feels like. Or there's, is, does I that, love it. Do you, all right, all right. Well, because you, you've been at, like, big, giant, horrible exactly. companies. Exactly. I, 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 uh, I mean, I, I love the speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing I like, it's funny, like, with DoorDash, like, you know, lunch happens every day. Dinner happens every day. So we get we get a report card, you know, sort of twice a day. Mm-hmm. And the, the pace is such that, you know, we're launching constantly new products, new features, trying to listen to the customer. Uh, you know, the, the launching to the 3,000 cities this year was a monumental undertaking. And it was, it was awesome to see us be able to do that in 12 months. The thing that surprised me is that the markets we launched are actually doing better than the markets we launched four or five years ago. And I think mm-hmm. it speaks to what Tony was saying is that, that these cities did not have these capabilities. So if you look at Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Detroit, Indianapolis, Jacksonville. Uh, we just launched Burlington, Vermont, believe mm-hmm. it or not, just to give you a flavor for where we mm-hmm. are now. Uh, Bremerton, Washington. These sites, they're doing incredibly well because they've never had this capability before. So I, I love it. I mean, I, I thrive on building something that people love. I was a customer before I joined DoorDash. But, uh, but the, the startup environment, I, I think it's... I, it's, it, it has changed. People have sort of, you've been, you collected all this money for, for, for investment and now, you know, there hasn't been a big startup lately. There hasn't been a big startup environment right now. It feels like it. I just, I, just think of the last big startup. It was Uber, Airbnb, yours. There was a class of them that hasn't happened since then. I think I think there are a lot of startups. I I, I, I think there are, I think what's tough mm-hmm. I, being a startup right now yeah. is you want to make concentrated bets as a startup. You want mm-hmm. to go all in on a few things and bet well and bet correctly. And one of those things is getting great talent. But that talent right now is so dispersed in a lot of these mini projects. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big reasons why you're not seeing maybe more bigger startups. Because I think while it's never been easier to start a company, I don't think it's ever been harder to scale a company. It's expensive. The right. capital, we talked about this. It's hard scaling quality, not just of hiring, but building the product, building decentralized teams. That's really hard right now. Mm-hmm. And what about the image of Silicon Valley? Has that been affecting you all at all? Do you feel like it has? Or is it just bypass you because you're not really doing 
social media or the other things that are sort of in hot water. Well, but the image of tech has gotten like beaten up, I think, recently. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're very cognizant of that. I, I think the fact that we started the company with a mission to help merchants and because that's in the cultural DNA. Rather than we, destroy people. Well, right, no, right. Well, no, well, no, a lot yeah, of startups say we're here to destroy or disrupt or break down. Yeah, no, is I think because that's in the cultural DNA, we never sought that kind of attention. Right. You know, it's one of the reasons why we were fairly understated and under the radar in in our five-year history. Mm-hmm. In terms of, of what doing... And, and Getting coverage right. or, or, or doing a lot of the so social media. So what does media. it take now to be an entrepreneur? When you, I, I think a lot of people sort of are interested in... There's a lot of focus on the mistakes that entrepreneurs have made, but what is it? what are the important things to be an entrepreneur right now? When you have a company, you're sort of trying to be, you're at the point where you have got to reach escape velocity, presumably, right? That's the moment your your company seems to be at. Yes. Where you go we, to we're, the... We're, we're past that. I mean, we, we've been very fortunate where the breakout product market fit has happened. Right. All right. What do, you, what do you think the key parts are to doing that for these companies that are sort of on the edge? Okay. Well, there's some things in your control and some things that are not. And, and I would focus on the things that are in your control. So I would say first... You have to have a big reason for why you want to do something because inevitably you're going to have tough times, and we've had ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about one of those. Yeah. So I mean, if you th- so, yes, we talked about DoorDash <laughs> raising you know almost a billion dollars, but, but previous to 2018, DoorDash raised 180 million dollars, which is a lot of money. Yeah. But relative to some of the peers in the space, it's a tiny single digit percentage of what right. the peers have uh, have, have raised, and right. and. You know, the external world was very negative about our space. And, and explain it, why. I, I know. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so, because there was so much competition because, yeah, I mean, into, well, a couple things happened. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of wonders right now about the macro environment. Um, mm-hmm. But in 2016, let's be clear, there, there was actually a downturn in the first quarter. There was. Uh, you know, uh, LinkedIn lost half their value in a day. Salesforce mm-hmm. did that in something like a week. I mean, it, it, and, and that was also when DoorDash was raising its Series C. So in, not the best timing. Right. Um, but that wasn't, you know, what we had planned for. And and, and so it, it, it was difficult. And, and you know, through those two years, we really had to hunker down to make sure that the business model would work on the money that we had. Mm-hmm. And then after that step on the gas raise, you know, the money that we did. I mean, we raised 80% of our lifetime financing in one year. That was 2018. Right. right. And so so I think the first, so, so I think to, to be an entrepreneur today, y- y- you have to have a much bigger goal than just making money or, or, mm-hmm. or I don't know, building a product. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing you have to do is you have to find great people who are in it with you for a long time. I think right now, one of the one of the toughest parts about being a startup is is teasing that out when you're hiring and assembling a team. Mm-hmm. You know, are you here just because you're collecting a portfolio of great names, you know, that might right. go public one day? Or are you here for the long haul when things are going to be negative and positive? And I think the third thing is you have to have a unique point of view. You have to have a point of view that's actually different. You know, ours was we wanted to help merchants. It wasn't the view that our peers shared, even though we're all in the same space. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you have to execute upon that. Those are the things I would focus on controlling. And then I think it takes a lot of luck. You know, we as, an, as entrepreneurs don't get to control the timing of markets. Mm-hmm. We can influence the shape, right. the trajectory. Right. Mm-hmm. But we talked about the web van you know, story. Right. And 
had they had the demand, I think maybe we'd be talking about them in, in a different light. No, today. it was the right idea. Yeah, I always totally. say some things are directionally correct and then um, uh, topically wrong. Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or, or it, time, it, it, timing time wrong. Yeah. Time wrong. Temporally here it was right. wrong. But right. So, so, so I, I, I think we had some you know lucky bounces along the way too. Right. So your last funding, I'm going to let you take this one, Chris, was from SoftBank's Vision Fund. Yes. So it's something I've been railing on a lot, as you know, yes. people who take money from thugs. Um, how do you, I know, so you don't have to say that. Um, what is that, how do you, do you think of that? Is that an issue for you all as a, as a group? Um, it's something I'm writing about this week. I'm writing about it with regards to Uber, because Uber took an enormous amount of money from the Vision Fund and from others. Um, do you, how do you think about the financial environment? Well, it's something we we, we definitely talk about. I mean, we, we, um, it's it's concerning. I mean, mm-hmm. what what happened, and you know, it's 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 something that we we look at. We haven't we haven't um, given back the money. No, yeah, no. And look, we're not we're not here to. This isn't a court of law, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the, the some things were were concerning uh, from that, and we we definitely looked at that. Well, what do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, Tony, also because I, mean, I was talking to Dara Shah, he he was like, you can't pick your investor. You know what I mean? You can't fire your investors. You can't fire the kind. This is these. Let me just be clear to people: the Vision Fund, half the money in it is from the Saudis directly from the person who probably ordered the murder of a of a journalist, uh, according to our CIA, not according to our president, but according to our our intelligence services. And so there's been an issue around the Vision Fund and how much of it should stay in Saudi hands and stuff like that. And I, it, it's an interesting question right now because Silicon Valley is being buffeted by all kinds of ethical issues now on all kinds of issues. And to operate in that, when you think of the funding environment, I guess the way out of it is to go public. Correct. I mean, is to get to get into a, a situation where people either buy or sell your stock, and you don't have to deal with that. Correct. Well, yeah, that that that's certainly one way to change. Uh, the to, cap to make table. any changes to the cap table would be <laughs> right. to make everybody an investor. Right. You know, right. as a public business. Um, and is that your goal? Is that the goal of DoorDash, or what is the where does it something like that go? Because you're not naturally being purchased by someone. I mean, I guess Amazon, I suppose, could buy you, but. So the goal is to be an independent business. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say the goal is to be a public company as an end destination. Okay. You, you know, that's going to be a milestone on the road. Right. Um, but, but yeah, the goal is to be independent. The independent by itself, to run by it. Yeah, to be standalone a, business. Standalone business is essentially a FedEx for the next century. How do you look at it? Nice. Well, do you I, like that? I like that Yeah, you like that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I— FedEx I, is pretty pissed. <laughs> exactly. One of the reasons I joined DoorDash was— FedEx uh, has missed a turn, didn't they? They really did. This is this is, uh, this is is a big thing. I think— FedEx missed a turn. I they thought this was a big, a big opportunity. It is it is bigger than I thought. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is—it um, should have been obvious to me, actually, in, re- in retrospect. I mean, people eat a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. They want this convenience. And then when you start to think about other categories of whether it's flour delivery or pharmaceutical delivery— or or retail sure. delivery or B two B delivery. The, the 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 opportunity is immense, and you know Tony 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 wanted to make an enduring company, and mm-hmm. and that's um, that's sort of why I joined the company. Well, some of the, part of me feels like there's not going to be any stores someday. That's my premise. I, I actually sitting... think there can be more stores. Really? So so okay. Okay. So let's I was try... sitting next to the head of Walmart and at, at an event, and I'm like, "There's not going to be any Walmart someday." And he's like, "Kara, stop it!" I'm like, "No, think about it. Why should there be any WalMarts here? It's all commodity they're, stuff. They're just not going to be the same stores." All right. I, okay. So, so Explain today, what so the today, stores. So today, I'm speaking so t- in front of the yeah, National yeah. Retail Federation soon in a couple of weeks, okay. and I, I want to be very controversial. So t- give me something I can tell them that's fascinating and. Groundbreaking. Well, the stores are going to get smaller, so okay. so I, I think there's going to be two. So right now, there's there's uh, about a million restaurants, depending on how you count in America. Right. right. 
And I think there's an opportunity where there could be maybe one day multiples of that, maybe three to five million restaurants. Restaurants. Okay. And then let's take retail. If right. there are five million retail stores, I, I think one day there might be more than that. Right. I, I just think that half of them are going to sell you convenience. They may be delivery-only kitchens. They may be um, convenience-only pickup stores mm -hmm. for retail um, or delivery from those retail stores. And then that model is going to be much um, higher margins so that these merchants, these retailers, and these restaurants can reinvest back into store experiences that never existed before so that you will actually still do it. Because look, I still think that people, you're still going to want to hang out with your family mm -hmm. At a store. Right. Experiential. Yes. You're, you're still experience. going to go out. You're right. still going to go out with your coworkers, your friends. And it's just a matter of where. You may not, you may no longer go into a super big store mm -hmm. that's, you know, a format of. Where there's paper towels and whatever. Yeah. But. I don't but know why people buy paper but people, towels. But what if anymore? people can redo experiences and, and, and put it into a smaller format th that is less expensive mm -hmm. to, to operate and more fun? For you and your friends and your family. Would you ever operate stores? We're I mean, look what's to happening in China. People. Look what's happening with Alibaba. Think, talk, talk a little about, the, about yeah. that because they're starting these very fascinating yeah. stores. They are. So so I, I think the stores you're referring to are the Homa stores mm -hmm. where, you know, they effectively have these – it's almost like Amazon Go, you know, plus yeah. plus. Right. Right. And, and – what we'd like to do is we, we started the company to help merchants. So mm -hmm. we would love to help do that. We'd love to – Offer the the infrastructure to be able to to, to do that. Whether it's the space, right. whether it's the technology inside, whether it's the marketing from, whether mm -hmm. it's the data about what's selling, what's not selling, mm -hmm. what's high quality, low quality, mm -hmm. what's the right price point. These types of things. That's we want to be a business partner to, these to them to be yes. logistical, like a logistical. because be, and, and that way we can actually live in a much more positive, I think, view of tech, which is not displacing all these jobs, but actually keeping, you know, mm -hmm. the 60% of jobs that are produced by these businesses, which have, that statistic has been true for six decades now mm -hmm. in all the tech, you know, ups and downs. Mm -hmm. What about you, Chris? Well, I mean, if you think stores about, or no stores, I think, stores, I think my premise is brilliant. I think I think store. I think if you lead with that, that'll be that'll be great. Oh my God, they'll have a coronary. They'll, they'll like that. Or a sponsor of ours too. Sorry, there'll be no stores. No Thank stores. you for the money. No, I think there will be stores. Um, I mean, if you think about all this inventory is like close to you, but like the most convenient offering we have today is sort of Amazon showing up in two days with your stuff. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. And um, and so for me. You know, I think the the push here will be ever more convenient. It won't be two hours, you know, two days. It'll be two hours. Right. And I think that's the system that we're building. That will that will make better use out of the real estate that exists, but it'll require that that real estate change pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. Like you need to pick pack, you need to ship. Like you imagine a, the story of the future will be, you know, w one third sort of front of house and then two thirds sort of a pick pack operation that's the back of the house. We've got the inverse of that. That's right. You're 100% right. Today. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the way it will go. You'll see that in the restaurant world as well, by the way, if you, if you think about it. So that the seats are less than mm -hmm. the back. Yeah, you've got a situation where, you know, if you've, if you've taken three quarters of your restaurant, you built in, in that's front of house and then 25% kitchen, and then you layer on delivery, which, you know, we're seeing some restaurants in Palo Alto, which is the longest market we've been in, uh, you know, 
up to 50% of their sales are now delivery mm-hmm. at different parts of the wow. day. They were never designed right. to do 50% of no, their sales. No, they never thought of it that way. No. Except only New York does things like that. It's really interesting. Um, lastly, um, what are the biggest trends in delivery? Drone delivery, scooter delivery. What is what are you? What's the thing you're seeing? My son was just obsessing on drone delivery, Drones. food. Yeah. Well, well, well I, th- I, th- I think that will come in time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. We've been working on the problem of, of working with autonomous systems for about three years now. I don't think we're just quite there yet. Autonomous cars, autonomous everything. Yeah, d- different types of vehicles on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, above ground um, to, to, to be able to do these types. So I, I do think that that will happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that will replace humans. I think that that will augment um, – that will augment uh, the delivery networks um, in, in a very phased way. I, I don't think we're near either side of the utopian right. um, field. Um, I, I think the other thing is that, and what we're going to hope and try to you know influence this is all the stores are going to have e-commerce solutions. You know, mm-hmm. I believe that in order for DoorDash to be successful. Our merchants have to be successful, and for them to be successful, they must all have some e-commerce and um, delivery solution. And and you know, some of them are going faster th- th- than others. Mm-hmm. But I believe that you know, one day, you know, everyone will will have those, and and that's how they're going to exist. That's how all those stores and brands are going to keep being those stores and brands. If they are, I don't think there's going to be stores. See, that's your problem. No, I don't think you believe that. I, I do. I, th- I, I think, believe that. I think I just that's my newest oh, premise. It's my newest that would be genius. A sad world, though, Kara. Don't you think? I mean, no, that, because we could turn. I was just discussing this on the thing. You could turn uh, stores into houses. And people, mm. live, you know what I mean. But we need. I, I just think. I think the 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 store is a very valuable. thing. If it's an experiential thing, yes. I don't know if you saw my essay. It has to have I one see. of three things. I mm. wrote an essay about it. It's got. There were three stores on 14th Street when I was trying desperately not to use Amazon, mm. which is really difficult because it's so much better, like by a quantum level. One was experiential. Mm-hmm. One was a store that was absolutely delightful to shop in because it was beautifully merchandised. It was mm-hmm. called Home Rule, and it was just fun to shop in. And you, I could have found everything there on Amazon. They, oh. The way they put it together mm. was delightful as an experience. The second one was heavy-duty customer service, mm-hmm. which I think is critical. Um, such good customer. It was a hardware store, and you go in, and there's someone right there, and then when you say, I want this, it's upstairs. You get upstairs, the person's like, I'm here to show it to you. Mm. It was exceptional customer service, which was great, which was a pleasure to shop in. Um, and the other was uh, just weird stuff, like you can't get anywhere else. And it was a, a store called Miss Pixies, and she just had, she just has a weird sensibility, and you can't find it. No, there's there's nobody. You know, Jeff Bezos is not. She's that curating that. She's curating it in a way that's different. And so I, these were the only ways she would win. And at the same time, I still was bothered by the fact that we sent, essentially hunt and gather still. We still hunt mm. and gather, and we shouldn't hunt and gather at all. There shouldn't be a minute spent hunting and gathering. I don't think so. Well, I think so. So I, I, Thank you. I, that is my premise. Uh, you should present that. <laughs> I should. I have. I have. I have. I have. That's my newest. I, I shall. You shall be reading about it soon because it's a concept that I have. But like what happens to things? Like what happens to the way we shop and stuff? And I do think the delivery is cha- has, has moved into a quantum level of interest for especially young people in terms of I watch my kids. Everything is delivered. Every yeah. single thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the other thing is, you know, we still need to collect a lot more information about the offline world, um, mm-hmm. n- not just to make deliveries better. So not not just like, you know, how long is traffic or, or, or where is parking, that sort of thing. Uh, we do have to do that. Uh, but, but, but even just things like inventory systems, <laughs> yeah. do, do you have the thing for yes. Miss Pixies or not? Um, right. To um, uh, what if you run promotions? To uh, So, so there, there's a lot of information yeah. about the physical world 
that's not online. That's not organized well. No one has categorized that data set. Right, right. And and that's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. And also then also lockers and things like that. I'm just really interested. The whole concept of stuff that's near you. There's all these things popping up that I think are really interesting experiments. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think all of those experiments are along the lines of how do we get things closer to you, mm-hmm. right? That That's really how you get faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, we can bring everything to you, super close to you. I'm going to test you, Tony. I'm going to test you in my next trip to Washington. All right. right. We'll see how you do. Tell me which story you were from. Uh, I will. I will after I've done it. After right. I've done it, we'll do it under a guise of another name so you sure. don't know. All right. Well, well, exactly. All right. I'm watching you, Chris, You'll for sure. You'll let us know. All, All right. right. I will. All right. Thank you so much. This is really interesting. It's a very, it's a fascinating area, the, I, the concept of it. And a lot of, again, a lot of people are getting into it and a lot of people are not are going to be getting out of it, I think, as you move forward. But I really appreciate you guys talking about it. We're here with Tony Shu uh, and Christopher Payne, the CEO and CEO of DoorDash. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Kara. And thank you all for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Tony, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter. On t- What's your name? T Shu. T underscore Shu. Okay. What about you? Chris Pa, C-H-R-S-P-A. Chris Pa, you weren't there early enough, I guess, huh? Uh, What about uh, DoorDash? At DoorDash? At DoorDash. All right, okay. And now that you've done with this, go to our other podcast, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. This episode was brought to you by Valley of the Boom from National Geographic. This all-new six-part limited series follows the stories of three companies trying to change the world through technology during Silicon Valley's unprecedented tech boom of the 90s. From the first browser wars to the story of a carn artist on the run from the FBI who reinvents himself as a tech entrepreneur, these are the true stories of how the web was won. Valley of the Boom premieres Sunday, January 13th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. But you can watch the first two episodes right now, on demand and on the Nat Geo TV app.